Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. This episode is presented by Walmart Plus. Walmart Plus is the membership that helps you save on things you expect, plus the things you don't, like free delivery from your store with no markups, gas savings, and even a free Paramount Plus subscription. Start your free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus Essential Plan Only. Separate registration required. $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details. Nathan, we've got to start using Apple Cash. Uh, okay. Why? It's so easy and convenient. Apple Cash lives in messages where you and I text all the time. We do. All right. So I can pay you in the convos we're already having, like I do when I bribe you to say nice things about my favorite Taylor Swift songs. You'll never forget a payment or have the money just sitting somewhere collecting dust. You do owe me money from the last time we saw those Taylor and Travis picks, so that is nice. (laughs) And once I've done that, you can use that cash right away. You can buy stuff at a store with Apple Pay. So I don't have to do all the bank transfer stuff then? Nope. It's just right there. It's easy, convenient, and secure. Wait, did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? See how easy that was? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to Every Single Album, Harry Styles. I'm Nora Princiati. As always, I'm here with Nathan Hubbard. Nathan, how are you doing? Let's talk about having sex, feeling sad, and taking mushrooms, Nora. And releasing an album on Taylor Swift's 30th birthday. It's time to talk about Fine Line. Here we go. We got a live one here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What an intro. What an intro. Harry Styles walks among us, or specifically among you and your California brethren. Like... (laughs) This is a California Harry album. It is a Malibu-fueled album. It's a drug-fueled album. It's a love-fueled album. It's something it's else. Feelings-fueled album. It's a sadness-fueled album. A lot of fuel for this one. Plenty of it. So this is... It, it's funny. It's kind of rare, other than when Taylor has sort of like re-released stuff, but it's rare for us to get to talk about an album that's sort of in such recent memory, right? Like, tell me your fine line experience because it really wasn't all that long ago coming out in late 2019. Yeah, my fine line experience was going to the one night only show at the forum. Please feel free to be whatever it is you want to be in this room tonight. This is what I'm sure. Tis I saw and bringing okay well now i'm jealous bringing my teenage daughter and sitting behind a relatively short small short haired blonde human being who was sitting in the front row of the seats that overlook the floor and Half of the arena was going apeshit because everybody was pointing and saying, it's Nile, it's Nile. (laughs) And then there was this moment where I am looking at the back of the head and it's this little blonde head and 
then there's this moment where the person turned around. And, and it was my, Ellen DeGeneres. It was Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> and it was so clear that it was Ellen DeGeneres, but everybody on the floor was like, it's Nile. So there was this like weird, crazy buzz in the arena just of anticipation. And I have to say, I went in that night uh, not having seen Harry perform in person. And there's not a single person who could have possibly walked out of the building that night thinking anything other than this man is a star and this album is a hit. He played a bunch of songs for the first time that nobody had heard before. He went front to back on the album and the whole thing worked. It, it, he was in full-on Joker dancing mode, like including coming down the stairs just like the movie. But it worked and it was just a moment that cemented him in my mind as the thing. I mean, I, it, it was not long after that when I put in my basement, I have a picture of Taylor on the piano during the Reputation tour and she's, her head is back and, you know, her hair is up and hair's her, flipping. Hair's flipping. And next to it is a picture of Harry in the white bell bottoms and the pink shirt with his head back in almost the exact same pose. But you can just see there's something different about this human being. Wait, so you're making this incredibly salient point, which is like the perfect jumping off place for our conversation. But I just need to backtrack for a second. It was actually Ellen DeGeneres. I was kidding. It was Ellen DeGeneres. It was literally... Do people know this story? I was just because they joke that Niall looks like Ellen. No, no. Like, I made that up. Everybody was going crazy, and it was Ellen. I thought you knew this. No, yes, it was Ellen. I didn't know. Yes. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. I need to look this up. Oh, that's just fantastic. Okay. More importantly, though, I am so endlessly delighted by that. What you're saying is so interesting. You're just happy that Ellen had better seats than I did. (laughs) <laughs> what seats did Ellen get at the... Ellen got good seats at the Adele concert, right? Uh, no. Ellen was a little further back. No, Ellen back. was in the back. Yes. Ellen was in the back. It was, it was, it was very Rogan. clear that they had decided... I mean, yeah, Rogan had great seats. Lizzo had great seats. Ellen, they were like, yeah, we got to keep her a little out of the way still. Rogan had raided the Harry Styles drug stash. <laughs> I, think he, I think it might have been the other way around. Okay, well, Ellen had better seats for the Harry Styles show than for the Adele. Yes, um, she was at the peak of her power concert and and therefore was front and center. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Well, more importantly, based on what you just said, I, I think it's a really important sort of framing mechanism for what we're going to talk about today, because fine line, I think, is fairly universally looked at as just one of the great recent pop albums. And Harry Styles has been so ascendant, particularly around the period that he put this music out in. And we're going to talk about, you know, his first number one single and all of these things that really sort of brought him from, oh, wow, this guy has a lot to offer beyond being in a boy band, which I think is what we got in the sort of debut album era to, holy smokes, this is a star. Yes. I think some of the interesting work of this conversation is going to be to separate what he does musically from who he is in the public eye and to kind of dissect how these things work together, but also when we need to kind of 
distinguish Harry Styles, the celebrity from Harry Styles, the artist and, and figure out where the differences between those things are and, and where the interplay between those things is. Because one of the central questions that I have for his upcoming third album is going to be at the end of it. Could I give someone an elevator pitch on what a Harry Styles song sounds like mm. other than really wonderfully updated versions of older songs, of right. other sounds, other songs that we've heard and loved before that can be so wonderful and enjoyable to hear updated in this way. But as he's developing his own sound, he does so by taking a lot of sounds from the artists that he loves. And sometimes that's really magical and wonderful. And sometimes while not being a bad thing, it leaves him in this place where it's a little bit hard to access exactly what he wants to do other than recreate the things that are, are important to him. And that's, well, he, he comes by that honestly, doesn't he? Totally. I mean, that totally, was the totally, story totally. of One Direction. And while he's working with all new people who didn't work on One Direction albums, this is somewhat embedded in him, isn't it? To, to get in touch with the things that he likes and that he respects and admires and to pull pieces out into his own music. I think that's the process of a lot of artists. But it's also part of why I think the reviews for this album are all over the map. He's got... yeah. Problem one, which is some people are just jealous and resentful of this guy. The reviews were not as as universally positive as I sort no, of remembered them. Being. No, when I went back, I was a little bit like people have critics have more mixed feelings of this album than I remembered because yeah. it, in my head, everybody and their mother thinks this album freaking rolls. Yes, but like Rolling Stone is even confused. Like they ultimately made it on their list of best 500 albums of all time, but that was only after ranking it 23 on the f list of 50 best albums of 2019. So there was a little revisionist history there, which I think a lot of people have had since. But the critical reception to this seems to be, A, there's just some resentfulness and envy maybe, which is not like me dismissing, you know, some of the legitimate criticisms, but... B, they're keeping him in the boy band box still, right? They're really trying to look for the manufactured piece. They're not really, even here at the beginning of this release, allowing him to be a standalone independent artist. I think that they look very suspiciously at Harry being surrounded by a team of accomplished songwriters and producers and say, well, maybe this isn't him. And then C, they just can't seem to get out of, you know, one of the things that we do as a recurring thing on this pod, which is trace the roots of a lot of these songs in things that came before it. And, and I think that to, to some extent, the reviewers, that's exactly what they did to One Direction. It's why they missed Four. It's why they missed Made in the AM. And it, it they, there's still a little bit of a hangover through these reviews still, isn't there? Yeah, and I think it misses just sort of the undeniability of this collection of songs, which top to bottom, I think is really strong and is yeah. just so much fun to listen to and feels really authentic and makes a ton of sense to me when I consider them just with Harry, the person, Harry, the celebrity, Harry, the onstage performer, like everything that we know of sort of what his energy is, the 
enthusiasm for the types of music that he's working with and the people, the other musicians that he's working with. When you consider it in that framework, it all makes a ton of sense to me and really all rings true. Yeah, There is a piece. And again, this is what I sort of want to get to the end of this episode with a more thorough understanding of where if someone makes the counter argument, well, how do you know exactly where he is in these songs? I'm not always sure what to say to that because so much of the stuff that I love, it's true. You, you go, oh, well, he so clearly loved being in the room with that chorus and he wanted to bring back using a chorus in this. There's all these instruments and that's so cool. And he gets so much enjoyment out of that. And he loves Joni Mitchell and he gets the dulcimer and blah, 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 blah. And then you want to know exactly where Harry is. So let's try to figure it out, shall we? On we go. So we start, as we always do, with the biggest hit, which means that it's time for us to talk about Watermelon Sugar. Oh, boy. Watermelon Sugar, strawberries on a summer evening. Baby, you're the end of June. <laughs> Why do you say that? What's, what's, <laughs> what does that noise represent? Because invariably in this, in this conversation, we're going to talk about what this song is about and the Nora, joys of mutually appreciated oral pleasure to quote Zane Lowe in their interview. Watermelon Sugar, which um, at this point is out and everyone's kind of figured out what it's about. The joys of, you know, mutually appreciated oral pleasure. Mm. <laughs> um, is that what it's about? Is it? I don't know. That's what everyone's saying. Oh. That's a way to say it. I mean, Yes. He's, this is not potentially the first time that he's written about this, is it? No, no. This is, I think this is a subject near and dear to Harry's heart and more power to him for that. I'm just happy getting you stuck in between my teeth and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. There are lots of vocal effects. I wish everybody listening to this podcast could see Nathan's face right now. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, this is the song about something between the vagina and the female orgasm, and maybe both. Right, Nora? Yeah, it's like, it's it's a Georgia O'Keeffe painting. That's what it is. That's what it is. And there are lots of interesting vocal effects all over this song. There's like a flange all over the background vocals. It is sonically a pleasure. It is fun as hell. The video is not particularly revealing about the nature of the song. <laughs> oh, I thought the video is pretty revealing in some ways. Yes, in a lot. Well, let's discuss that for sure. The weirdest thing about this song for me is that it is so obviously a summer song. And they yep. did they did formally release it in May, but it came out in November as a promotional single, really around his SNL performance. On a summer evening, baby, you're the yep. And it 
was out of place at the time, but it is such a good, catchy, perfect single of a song that it still had the legs to be a number one single. Well, and then and they released the music video in May, I think. And then it had the, you know, this video is dedicated to touching and they're all on the beach and rolling around. And so I think that rollout kind of acknowledged this is a song of the summer type bop. I wonder if, so Harry has said that this song took him a long time to write and that he kind of hated it at one point. And Hmm. he really went back and forth between like being super into it and then not into it at all. I wonder if there's something to that in kind of not presenting it in a way that you could read as sort of traditional. We think this is the absolute winner. This is the pop song. This is going to be all over radio. This is going to be the song of the summer. We're going to release it in time for that to happen supernaturally and exactly as we have it all planned out. Maybe because he had a little bit of trepidation at at times about the song. He didn't want to totally center it in that way or maybe they just knew that they had a hit and that no matter how it went it was going to be it was going to find its way to the top there's an awkwardness two-thirds of the way through the song when he sort of there's a breakdown in the you know he, he sort of breaks it down and then there's an edit after the and that summer feeling and then there immediately there's this edit where he does the sort of soaring I don't know if I could ever go without that just feels like it's totally grafted onto the song. I want your belly and that summer feeling. I don't know if I could ever go without. He hasn't finished the breath of the previous line before they cut that in. And so I just wonder how much editing went into piecing this song together. And may- maybe that was part of what he didn't like about it. But the bass line holds this thing together. I want your belly and it's feeling. There's no stopping the groove in this song. I, I'm not even sure that he had a song like this ever in his catalog beforehand. I don't think so. I mean, it's his first number one single, right? So it, in that sense, he didn't. And then the funny thing about that groove just being so strong is... They wrote it a little bit like the famous I Love KFC Midnight Memories insert. I love KFC. Where they had the chorus, they had that groove, and Harry, they're in the studio, I think, and Harry sees the Richard Brodigan novel in Watermelon Sugar just lying around and goes, hey, that sounds kind of cool. Like, that's a good collection of syllables. Let's just say that over and over. We had this idea and we, we had, like, this chorus melody and it just kind of it was pretty repetitive. And um, the Richard Brotogun book in Watermelon Sugar was on the table. And I was like, that'll sound cool. Uh, so. so it really was reliant and born from the eternal power of that groove and that bass line. Well, it's awesome. Is it the best song on the album? <sighs> it just really... De- I think this depends on your definition of the best song. Wow. It's my, fa- it's my favorite song on the album. 
I, I think so. I think sometimes you can't explain these things. I, I could make, I'll tell you what else I could make an argument for. And there's two songs that I could make an argument for. And they're okay. Canyon Moon and Cherry. Okay. But I just, I, I don't think that I can deny sort of the watermelon sugar supremacy on this album. Maybe it's just because I love Harry having to explain it over and over again yeah. and all the different ways that, you know, like he, when he did it on Tiny Desk, there was a really funny one. It's kind of about like that initial, I guess, euphoria of like when you start seeing someone or you start sleeping with someone or just like being around someone and you have that kind of excitement about them and, you know, you don't, you know. <laughs> and he's just like totally blushing and cracking up. Every time that happens is so funny to me. So maybe I just love the life that it's taken on. Yeah. But it's one of those songs that I, I have not gotten sick of hearing whatsoever. But there are other tracks, I would say Cherry in particular, where I can dig into it a little bit more and and maybe sort of appreciate different musical layers to it. The lyrics, I think, are really, really beautiful. The, the strings arrangement is really, really beautiful. Like, I can definitely make the case. Uh, I just... Watermelon Sugar is just the bop of all bops, you know? And, and I don't want to discount that. Nor the answer is Cherry. It's okay, to, uh, convince me. Convince me. Because I'm, this entire, I'm already there with you. I just this entire album was fueled by the breakup with Camille. And this is the song for her. It is the realest. It has the most vulnerability. It is written both in a moment of extreme sadness about seeing somebody with someone else. It is written under the pressure of feeling like he had to write some big songs and really, really sitting with the weight of expectations around what this album was going to be. And it is delicate. It builds those big drum fills that come in at the three-minute mark. Into this huge outro the lovely sort of Camille voicemails at the end in French. Which is just a bunch of nonsense. But well, all of the imagery so, of this I, is this the is, best. This couldn't matter less. We need to stop calling it a voicemail. It always gets called a voicemail in, in articles that have been written about this song. She was talking on the phone. It can't be a voicemail because she's asking questions and, and getting answers. She had placed a phone call and Harry was re recording because he was playing the guitar. So he captured her talking on the phone. But she's saying like, oh, are you asleep? Yeah, we went to the beach, blah, 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 blah. Just drives me crazy because it's a conversation. It's not a voicemail. Okay. Does that make it less it's of fine. a good song? No, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> I stand corrected. It doesn't matter at all. But it really, the, look, Watermelon Sugar, the, the 
lyrical component of that is a little bit goofy. And I think there's some song. I mean, it's it's sex fueled and in that way. I just think there there are some parts of this album that lyrically aren't quite as detailed or crafted in the way that this song just is as wide open and vulnerable and honest as it could possibly be. And I think that's why it's the best. Yeah. So I, it is very personal in the sense that, I mean, the, the voice note is a literal artifact of their relationship, right? The shade at the new boyfriend who's really just like a daddy's spending daddy's money. Does he take you walking around his parents' gallery and she started dating the son of a gallery scion art collector? Does he take you walking around his parents' gallery? Those are very clear details. Even just the fact that it's called Cherry is sort of their ship name. I I hear all that. I love this song, and I do think that it's the most intimate and the most personal Mm. one on the album. Mm. I am occasionally, maybe it's just because sort of I come from the Taylor Swift school of getting every single little minute detail. I think it's really honest in terms of his feelings. I don't know that the lyrics make me feel sort of inside of this relationship or inside of his feelings in a Hmm. completely whole way. But that's something that I really go back and forth on. And I do love the song and I, I think it's a new level of sharing and, and taking his fans into his own lived experiences. But I, in brutal honesty, sometimes I go back and forth on how personal any of this really truly is because when Harry talks about it, he often says, this is absolutely my most sort of raw personal work yet. I used to think that I was letting people in, but I really wasn't. Sometimes I think he does that by painting with a broad brush of sort of here's, here's how I was feeling in general. And this gets the closest to really clear specifics. And, and I mean, even lines like, there's a piece of you and how I dress is interesting, but it's, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm 95% of the way there is, I guess what I'm saying, but I'm Let's glad that you're hundred percent doubting of the way cherry, there. cherry doubt. Sometimes I think I want to love it more than I love, love, love it, but I oh. do love it. I don't how know. Does it, how, how do you feel? I mean, there's a little bit of a battle of the ballads on this album, right? It's followed by falling. What if I'm out? What if I'm someone you want to talk about? Yeah. Cherry made the set list at Coachella. Falling did not. I just miss your ex and your friends. Yeah, that kind of bummed me out. I mean, not that um, Cherry made it. I love Cherry. But I love Falling, too. I, I And I love, and I'm well aware that I write too many songs about you. Yes. And I'm well aware I write too many songs about you. Uh, For some reason, that one gets me. And some of the lines on Cherry that are kind of very first person and and very in the story don't hook me quite as much. 
I still think I probably slightly prefer Cherry, but there's something about the melody in Falling that really, really grabs me. Yeah. He's And they put they put his voice further up in the mix too. So part of it I think is that maybe that's why I believe it so much is that he's kind of just telling you like he's really singing it at you when you hear it on Falling. Does it um, change the way you think about it if I told you that he wrote it in a towel after coming out of the shower? He, these these guys just love to be naked when they record. They just love it. I don't know, Nathan. Does it change how you feel about it? It yes. seems like you're the one who wants to bring this up all the time. Yes, it does. Well, look, and when he says, blame the drink in my wandering hands. And there's no one to blame but the drink in my wandering hands. Is he handling himself again? Or is he confessing <laughs> to... I think he's confessing to infidelity. You think so? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Okay. So it's it. I think that's actually a really good. That line is a really good example of some of what I'm talking about. Is I think that some of this stuff reads to Harry as, and I'm speculating, right? But I'm putting in this line in a song about how maybe I wasn't totally faithful in this relationship and it led to its downfall. And now I'm really sad. Mm. And in a very obvious way, that is so incredibly personal, right? Like you are just sharing something painful and difficult about your own shortcomings and your own personal life and putting that into the music and letting it out into the world for people to talk about and know about and, and digest in that way. And so it, it, it makes total sense that that feels very intimate and very personal. He's not really telling you how it happened. You don't get who, what, where, when, why, like, And so sometimes, and again, maybe this is where I hold too many things up to the sort of Taylor standard of being super, super diaristic, but I'll go, okay, so maybe, maybe there's a cheating situation here. I don't know, but I still feel outside of it. Hmm. And I think you're asking a lot of him. You're yeah, asking no, a lot I think of somebody who confessed to biting off the tip of his tongue while on mushrooms <laughs> during the recording of this album. I mean, we've got to give him a little space to be in space. I, I think you're right. I am. This I is mean, an example of Taylor wouldn't nail Cherry if she was on mushrooms. <laughs> She'd do the the LASIK eye surgery thing, the banana thing. That that's not supposed to be what you're doing. I try to get this okay, one. Let me get the other one for you. For, okay. Let me get this one. But what do we do with this now? I'll leave it. I'll leave it. It's mine. But it doesn't have a head. That's true. I, I agree that I don't know if Taylor's ever taken mushrooms. I'm not sure I want to see it. No. A lot um, of really tough to watch crying happens in I that. think you are right that I'm being Tough. I, I'm I'm sort of approaching this from a you have to be honest about the things that you love. Yeah. And I mean, really trying to interrogate sort of exactly what my relationship is with these songs because this album I just I I play all the time. I love it so much. All of yeah. these almost all of these songs are pretty regularly coming out of my speakers. So that's that is the source of my need to to dissect and hold them up to very high scrutiny because 
I think they deserve it. Well, is there anything else? So you said Canyon Moon. Yes. Canyon Moon, for me, I really enjoy. I heard Jenny saying, go get the kids from school. And I keep thinking back to the time under the Canyon Moon. I just can't get out of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Sweet Judy Blue Eyes compare. Don't let the past remind us of what we are not now. Right. And I, I get that he he himself said it was CSN on steroids. Harry's yep. playing the dulcimer that, as you alluded to, when we talked about Harry Styles, he was so inspired by Joni Mitchell and Blue, and he went out and found the woman who created that instrument for her, right? And she built him yep. one? So this feels like such a tribute. We know that Joni was the lady in the canyon. That's Laurel Canyon. There was a whole sound in the 60s and 70s of these artists, including CSN. Graham Nash dated Joni Mitchell and wrote just absolutely beautiful songs about Joni Mitchell, including the song Better Man, which you... Uh, or Simple Man, sorry. Simple Man, which is like one of my favorite songs of all time. I just want to hold you... I don't want to hold you down. So there's all of this like intrigue and interest, which Harry being a little bit of a student of the past, you could see him getting so fired up and being involved. And we know, listen, Stevie Nicks was out on stage with him at that one night only. So there, some of that worship really threads through Canyon Moon, the Hammond organ that you sort of might hear on Love the One You're With by CSN. How does that resonate with you? You can put that aside and just enjoy the song for what it is because it is a really fun song. Yeah. This might sound sort of damning by faint praise, but it really, really is not to me. It's just a song that I think sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. And it sounds awesome enough that all of that backstory... It is not what to you? When you say it really is not to you? Oh, that just is saying that I think it sounds awesome is should not be interpreted as damning by faint, faint praise. Got like it. that. Yep. Why do we listen to songs, right? Like, yep. if we think something sounds awesome and you want to hear it over and over yep. again, that's pretty important. It just sounds awesome. Yeah. I does. ultimately do find the backstory rather charming. The The woman who built the dulcimer's name is Joellen Lapidus. And she had built the dulcimer that Joni played on Blue. Traveling, traveling, traveling. Harry got so obsessed with it that he he tracked her down. She built one for him. She gave him lessons. It is actually Harry playing the dulcimer on this song. I think that's very cute. The thing with this song is that I just want to drink a spritz and sit on a porch and listen to it a bunch of times. And you need songs like that. And it's a really, really, really good one. Yeah, it is. It slots nicely into any 70s, early 70s, late 60s acoustic rock song. Is there anything else on this album? But, but, but what? It doesn't sound sound like a critic. 
it doesn't sound out of place on on this album. Like one of my playlists, which has some of that on it, but it, you can it doesn't he does do a really good job of making these things somehow still sound pretty contemporary. I agree. Sonically this album is really a masterpiece. Yeah. It, it just and, and is if, big and interesting, always. I think in some way, ways, this is why I'm focusing so much on, okay, let's be in some ways really harsh, right? And really interrogate what's happening on the lyrics. Yeah. And where does Harry deserve full credit for the sonic influences? And where do we need to parse that out and credit others? Because when it comes down to just what this album sounds like, mm. the sounds of it, I think, are immaculate. And that is its ultimate strength is that there's just moment after moment on this album where what's going into your ear holes feels pretty nice when it goes in. So that's a metaphor and I give, for what this album is about. Uh, <laughs> I heard it while I was saying it. Yep. I, know I regret you did. it already. I heard you. Hearing Kaya, it. Please help I, me. I heard you. Canyon Moon's great. Hearing it. There are a number of other songs that were put out as singles. And I'm just curious, are there other songs? I mean, Adore You is is the obvious one. That that's there was a lot of interesting marketing that went into Adore You. They created this fake island, fantasy island. Eroda, right? Which is adore spelled backwards. In all the seas in all the world, there has never been a land quite like the Isle of Eroda. Shaped unmistakably like a frown, it is home to an all but forgotten fishing village that has had... And fans got a bunch of weird social media advertising about it. And so there was a, a, a... Not unlike, by the way, the newspaper ads that were placed in support of the upcoming album from Harry. So they, yeah. they, they have done a lot of creative stuff around that. I love Adore You. It's a really I fun love song. Adore You too, and I, I love in Tiny Desk when Harry says that it's about a fish. It's about a fish, and uh, <laughs> I just had this fish, and I just really liked it. And that, that's, that's kind of the whole story behind the song, really. It's about a fish. I just had this fish. I just really liked it. Um, and Amy Allen gets a writing credit on, on Adore You, she uh, produced Halsey's Without Me, which is a song that I love very much. I do so too. that's cool. Yeah. I'm into Adore You. I'm super into Golden. You're so golden. Yeah. The, I mean, the top it's a of great this album. Scene setter. It is totally Mitch on the Glockenspiel. Awesome. How about lights up? Yeah. I, I so like the first four. Tr- the way that this album reads to me is that the first four tracks are We're Coming for the Hits. You're so golden. Wanna lose you, girl. 
Then Not we unlike get, every other One Direction album that's ever been put out. Sure. Although I guess in some ways that's a little bit of a departure because all of Harry's debut album could kind of have been read as we don't care about coming for the hits all that yeah. much. We just want to make this sort of rocky thing that we really want to do. Yes. Um, then Cherry Falling to Be So Lonely is the... I'm very sad about my French ex-girlfriend section. Okay. Don't you call him baby. What if I'm someone I don't want around? It's hard for me to go home. So then she, Sunflower, is the I'm still rather sad about my French ex-girlfriend, but I'm going to take some mushrooms to maybe feel less sad about it. Yes. And then Canyon Moon treat people with kindness is sort of like, hey, the mushrooms worked and I'm having a nice time again. Okay. Okay. And then Fine Line is like a hard song for me to place. We'll be a fine line. But uh, to get back of, to your question about Lights Up, yeah. all four of those first four songs, which are sort of poppy and fun, all of them work for me. Watermelon Sugar is best. I think Golden is probably my second favorite of that group of four. Yeah. And then Adore You and Lights Up, it kind of depends on the day, but I, I'm into all of them. There's I think a they're little, all great. There's a little darkness in Lights Up. I mean, he's, he says himself at one point, he doesn't really know what it is or what it means. All the lights the video is fairly suggestive, to say the least. Yep. He puts it out on National Coming Out Day. I have a question for you that I'm going to wade very gingerly into. The pearl necklace, the fashion sense. We've talked a lot about some of the sort of honoring of the LGBTQ community. If this was Taylor Swift, who, by the way, in the me video, was called calculating and cook contrived and pandering. Is this all just who Harry is? Or is some of what he does here in service of not just honoring the community, but is he doing this for business reasons? (sighs) Is it contrived at all to you? No. So I think the thing that we're talking I think that that conversation revolves around why and to what extent is it fair to call something like that contrived and calculating when that does happen. I don't I don't see it as contrived on Harry's part. I think he's 
One, I think he's walked the walk for a pretty solid amount no of doubt. time. No doubt. Um, I also think that, look, if an artist is sort of coasting on credit that they get for supporting a marginalized community and they're doing it for their own benefit or to seem like a good guy, that by the way, sucks. By the way, it, it's the you need to calm down video, isn't it? Not the me yes. video. I don't think that's what... I, my personal opinion, I don't think that's what Harry's doing. He's I don't definitely, either. He's definitely given some interviews where he's talked about like, look, I just want people to feel like they are seen and welcomed at my shows and in my fan communities. I don't want to pretend that I know anybody's experience. I don't want to pretend that I am not immensely privileged as a white man. Is there a piece where Harry doesn't get, does he avoid some criticism probably in part because he's never explicitly expressed his sexual orientation. Um, He's only ever publicly dated women, but he's never defined himself in that way publicly. And does that give him something of a shield maybe where people don't want to criticize and then not be sure? Maybe. Yeah. But I don't think that there's anything bad about that because I just I if he were criticized I would think the criticism was unfair yeah so I, I, even I, I if think, it's unfair in yeah. when it's levied against other people I, I I like to believe that this is authentic and I think there's I, I think it is to believe that it is there are moments where it could be argued that he's playing to the crowd he has a lot of fun with the ambiguity of the lyrics in she for example and she sleeps in his bed while he plays pretend. Yep. And I think that's totally fine and okay. And I, I just asked the question because I actually think if this was Taylor, the knives might be a little bit sharper. Um, but also, you know, Harry, one could argue, has had a sort of more overt support for the community through the course of his career. Yeah, and this is not to criticize Taylor, right? Because I think... I think largely I think a lot of that criticism is is unfair and it's not helpful to come down really harshly on on people for trying to create positive spaces in their fan bases. Right. But I think some of what Taylor has been criticized for is being a little bit late to the party and politically generally. Yes, and for voicing support only once it's convenient. Okay. And I maybe give her a generous read and think that she's been on a little bit of a personal journey where that's sort of just been the timeline when things have happened. Right. But what I would say for Harry, I'm not sure that when Harry began voicing or just demonstrating support for LGBTQ fans in particular... I think that started before it was particularly convenient because I'm sure there were people making arguments that One Direction fostering that community in their fan base was not exclusively good for business. Mm -hmm. And they definitely did it anyway. Yeah, There was a group called Rainbow Direction, which was a fan group. It wasn't organized by the band, but it was certainly supported by them. 
And they were with them super early on and they were really good at organizing these meetups around One Direction shows. But they went on to have a bunch of other artists, I think Taylor included, ask them for help in doing the same things around their tours. So I do think that the timeline is important here. Like, yeah. I, I think Harry's just been pretty out front from early on in his career when he was a really, really, really young person. And I think that makes what he does seem pretty authentic. Well, there you go. Is there anything else on this album that for you competes for best album or best song on the album? Uh, no. What about you? No. I mean, listen, I fine line. I love to listen to you said, you're not quite sure what it is. That's, I think that's because I think it's a Bonnie bear song. Like the, the outro. Is very, very much like the outro on the Bonnie Bear song Perth. But I love the way that it closes the album in the same way that I really love how Golden starts the album. So I, I don't know. I think we've touched on what songs are likely to be considered amongst the best. Treat people with kindness, I'm not really sure what to do with, right? It's like a Jesus Christ Superstar song or something. How are you supposed to dance? That's what you're supposed to do I mean, the Phoebe Waller's Right. Uh, yes, the Phoebe Waller Bridge music video is great. Yeah, is awesome. So I, I enjoy that. I, what are you going to cut? So we're going to fight now. Um, there's two songs that I can consider cutting. You're going to cut and, Cherry? <laughs> no, I told you it was oh, my favorite song. Well, you the said album. we were going to fight. That's how we would fight. Okay, fine. Well, so one of the songs that I could make an argument for cutting a she. Mm. But the other one is fine line. Uh, yeah, I can see it. I like the outro too. It just doesn't really fit with the album to me. Maybe it's because I can't put it into the category of pop song, sad about my girlfriend, doing mushrooms, having fun. And then it's just like fine line. Why is fine line here? Uh, maybe it's because there's sort of very little hairy on it. And there's not a lot of words to it. And it it just feels, it's also six minutes long. Like, yeah. I, I just don't get fine line is I think what I'm saying. Yeah, I think it's a Bon Iver song and that's okay. That's okay. I, I, I have argued for grandpa shooting songs that are too close, right? On, on change your ticket. was was we, we compared to girls by 1975 like change your tickets a really good song if 
Girls doesn't exist. But Girls exists. So if I want to hear it, I'll, I'll listen to Girls. On this one, it's not exactly Perth, but there sure feels like there's a lot of similarities on the last part. So I could see how you would let that go. I just like the way that it closes the album. There's just an ethereal nature to it that feels interesting to me. I am surprised that you're hanging on to to be so lonely. Don't blame the drunk caller. Wasn't ready for it all. Huh. He didn't play it on tour. It feels like a Jack Johnson song a little bit. Heaven was a place still in space, not in motion, but soon. It's interesting, but the it's not a ukulele. It's like a gitalele. The six-string ukulele. Just, just, you know, feels like a Jack Johnson song. And I, I'm just not sure. You know, look, there's something interesting lyrically that goes on on this album. In Adore You, he references brown skin. He references strawberry. which came, are images that were on Golden. And Watermelon Sugar. And then right on Adoria, he's talking about it. On To Be So Lonely, the first line is, don't blame me for falling. Don't blame which is the previous song. Comes he right also, after falling. And he also says, don't call me baby again. Don't call me baby again. Which came from Cherry. Don't you call him baby. So there are these interesting sort of two songs that maybe explore a subject, as you said, then followed by one that he re-digs up some of the imagery. That is not a reason to keep to be so lonely for me. So I do love that. I love the fact that it comes right after falling in the first lyrics or don't blame me for falling. I think that's cool. Um, in the verses where the, I think it's like the double bass is, is really quivering and it sort of has that, like, are we on a canal in Venice and hearing people playing music in the streets thing? That mm. is a little weird to me. When it gets into the choruses, I, I think it's a really good, actually just really like how this song sounds. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's cool that this is really a Mitch song um, yeah. and was really born out of him messing around on the guitar and, and sending Harry voice notes. It's not my favorite song by any means, but right. I, I'm more, I'm certainly more it. into it than she. Nine in the morning, the man drops his kids off at school. Okay, Which, but she is definitely a Mitch. I mean, it's, it sounds like a Pink Floyd song. Don't be afraid to she is just testing the limits for me of how many mushrooms we should do and then record songs. Okay. 
Okay. It's Look, also six minutes long. Yeah. Well, Mitch's solo at Coachella, where he presumably was not on mushrooms, not sure why I'm presuming that, but was pretty impressive. I mean, I, he really shredded that. That is the argument for keeping the song is for the guitar solo. And I think it's a stronger argument when you hear it live than in the recorded version, because it just feels like two different songs to me. Like I don't really connect what's going on at the end with the guitar part to when Harry's on the song. I I don't know. It just seems like a drug trip. Yeah. Well, it's, it's heavy dark side of the moon stuff here. And, and if you're going to throw darts, at the album for being derivative in parts. This is one of those songs where you might hit some parts of the target. What about Sunflower? What does volume six mean? (laughs) Are there five other Sunflowers? I don't know if there's an actual answer to this. This, again, seems like one of those things where it's just like, we get it, guys. You were doing a lot of drugs and decided that this seemed cool. I do like that song, though. All the vocal stuff at the end, the whoops. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. One of the things that I like about Treat People with Kindness is that you almost have Niall's heart attack. Ow! Oh, there you go. Coming back on that. You're and so that's happy very fun. that you got to bring that back out. Ow! But then, Ow's yeah, the right. end of Sunflower is insane. They were definitely on a lot of drugs. Yeah. And, you, you and he's like gasping for breath at one point and they're yelling and wooing. But it's like, it's really an interesting arrangement and interesting writing. It's an amazing display of his vocal ability. He's doing all, you you forget, he's doing all the vocals on this song. And he's got in the high register and the low and he's making, like, it's really an impressive song. I don't adore the song, but it's interesting enough. It holds your attention. I'm just still stuck on what volume six actually means. I mean, I know there's, Maybe he's documenting relationships, but th- this is one of those Easter eggs that I-, I don't have an answer to, and I want it. I just think it's like when people decide to to cough, cough, Taylor, make an album and put everything in lowercase. It's just like an aesthetic thing. Okay. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it has some secret meaning, but I don't know what it was. What I do know is that our pal Greg Kirsten works on this song and like rocks out, just shreds on the electric sitar. As one does. As one does. <laughs> Got Greg on the sitar just <laughs> holding it down. I think he also like plays the organ on that, that, yeah. that song too. He does. I know that it's sacrilegious, but do you love Treat People with Kindness as a song? Yes. I love it as a message. No, I love it as a song. When but I hear- like I like Broadway. Yeah. Like I, I have a, I am a person who has a really good time when I see people singing and a pit orchestra playing and a dance break and someone yelling all together now, which is exactly what happens on this song. That's exactly. So I'm this super song. into it. 
Okay, you're all about it. Okay. Yeah, it's a- impossible to be cut because it's just too much at the center of the message. I just wasn't sure how you feel about the actual song song. I feel very good about the actual song song. I understand that it might not be for some people, but mm. it's very much for me. All right, so so you're you're shipping fine line into space, and yeah, and I'm you- taking she off the album and having it be something that just happens live. Can I rant for a sec? Uh, yes, please, Nora. You know I love when you do. Pay apps are way too public. Uh oh, what happened? Okay, so some rando hearted a payment from five months ago. And I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying. Full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it is super weird. Well, how are you going to pay your friends then? I'm asking for a friend. Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text. And it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Well, you're talking a lot about Greg Kirsten. Is he our most important collaborator on this album or do you have somebody else? No, it's definitely not. Greg Kirsten just showed up to like do a bunch of drugs and write and play the electric sunflower. Sitar. It's Kid Harpoon. Play the electric sitar and then like run away. It's Talk Kid to me Harpoon. about Kid Harpoon, aka Thomas Hull. Yeah, Kid Harpoon is all over this album and is the one who got Harry to translate what he was feeling after this breakup with Camille into music. That's the key insight, the hardest thing to get an artist to do is to channel that feeling into music and it happened across this record. So I give it to Kid Harpoon. And Kid Harpoon had worked on Carolina and Sweet Creature on the debut album, but then got to sort of take take a front seat role on Fine Line. He'd also worked with Florence and the Machine a bunch before this point. I'm into it. We've also got, well, so hold on. We've also got Tyler Johnson, who kind of similar thing. He was, he'd worked with Jeff Basker and was sort of an assistant who'd 
done some work on the debut album and then takes on a, a first chair role for Fine Line. Kid Harpoon, Tyler Johnson, and Mitch Rowland are almost always the other credited co-writers, along with Harry getting the first writing credit on all of these songs. Yeah. And then Basker shows up on Cherry, She, and Treat People with Kindness. Um, and then we've got Greg Kirsten. We mentioned Joelle and Lapidus, who who built the dulcimer. I think that's important. Okay. But I'm going to give you another one. Oh, boy. I, I think my... I'm going to take us outside of the album a little bit because my most important collaborator is another Harry who is Harry Lambert, Harry Styles' stylist. Okay. Who had been with him since he was still in, in One Direction. But I think this is the era where how Harry dresses really cements itself as sort of part of the package here. I mean, this is, he wears the Gucci dress on the cover of Vogue. He co-chairs the Met Gala in 2019 and wears this all black, I think sheer blouse and these high-waisted pants. It's just an incredible outfit. He gets his ears pierced so that he can wear a very specific pearl earring. And so Harry's, Harry Lambert's philosophy on dressing Harry Styles, also dressing some of his other clients some of whom also have some history of sort of playing with gender fluid fashion, I, I think is feels at least emblematic of how Harry tends to look at it. There's a quote from Harry Lambert when he was asked if his if he thinks of his work as political. And he said, the answer is not really. I just think playing with gender stereotypes shouldn't matter. Why should we give a shit what someone wears? If something political comes of it or if it makes someone feel more comfortable to be themselves, then great. If it pisses someone off, great, whatever. And there's something about that relentlessly defiant, like I'm just going to do this because I want to and because I think it's interesting and cool. Mm. That feels pretty resonant with how Harry approaches a lot of this stuff. And it seems like he's coming into his own musically in terms of being willing to express his feelings after his breakup through a lot of these songs. But he was also really doing that in, in how he presented himself publicly. And a lot of that had to do with clothes. And Harry Lambert's the one who dresses him for all of these events and, and for the Vogue cover, but also for the album cover here. You know, that's where the white pants and the pink top and all of that is coming from. So uh, Harry becomes such a style icon around this point. And it seems like they have a really, really good partnership that, you know, really kind of started taking off all the way back in 2015, which was when he wore that full floral Gucci suit right. at the AMAs. So it's been a long time building, but I think this is sort of where it takes it up a notch. What do you think he wears around the house? That's a great question. Like, does he wear like Aviator Nation sweatpants and then throws on the... Does he dress like you, Nathan? Is that did, what you're asking? A, a, a guy can dream. I mean, a lot of what Harry wears seems comfortable. Like, he could... That, maybe he just has... That he has disco like ball a, jumper at Coachella did not look comfortable. Okay, but the silhouette could be comfortable. Like maybe okay. he just has a he has a silk cashmere version. Okay. I would wear that. You think he just curls up in a 
<laughs> like a huge dress when he's sitting around with Olivia watching in a, the in a Dunkirk v. again. In a low V, like gray silk cashmere jumper. That's what I think is going on. <laughs> we need to know what Harry wears around the house. That would actually be, he should do a, a, a 73 questions or something or at home with Harry Styles. He'll never do it. It's like the last thing in the world that he wants to do. Hi, hi. But for the clothes alone, I would be very, I would really want to see. Well, I mean, you could also say his fashion was maybe P. Carey in this moment. But w- w- <sighs> then take me, take me to the P. Carey moment. Yeah, it's so hard because this whole era is P. Carey. Like he's hosting the Met Gala. He's the face of another perfume, Gucci's genderless fragrance. Gucci Memoir de Noda, New Eau de Parfum Universal. He gets, uh, he gets spiked in the balls by Michelle Obama playing celebrity dodgeball on James Corden's show. Harry Styles gone solo all over again. Obama winds up and oh, right in the one deep. He gets to induct Stevie Nicks into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Just like the white winged dove sings a song, sounds like she's singing. Stevie Nicks is the first female artist to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a second time. He gets to to be Tom Petty and do Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Yep. He crushes Saturday Night Live. Is it not the railing me to death line from the Sarah Lee sketch? Yeah, for him, Sarah Lee commented with a few eggplants, water drops, a train, and a ghost emoji. And that's a reference to... Getting railed to death, yes. (laughs) I'm glad you went there. That was... I was a little bit... I, I think his SNL is so good. Because the other one that we could have gone with was the the um, the monologue where he references One Direction point. and says, yeah. wouldn't it be cool if they were here tonight? They're, They're not. not. <laughs> I was in a band called One Direction. How crazy would it be if they were here tonight? Well, they're not here. They might be. They're not. Or yeah. saying the show's not good anymore because no one's on cocaine. Like, there are yeah, so it, it, many good lines. But yes, I think you're right. I think he, it's the Sarah Lee sketch. Yeah, it's the Sarah Lee sketch. I guess my question for you is, there's another former boy bander who is considered one of the great SNL hosts of all time, and that is Justin Timberlake. Can Harry get there? Or was this a one night only? Harry was really good. It's not a one night only. No, he will do it again and he will crush again. Here's the thing that Timberlake has on him. And it's a song that we've talked about on this, on this season already. Harry's got to do a Lonely Island. Yeah. Or he's got to at least, you know, could Harry have done Three Sad Virgins? No. Because he he that he hasn't he doesn't have a dick in the box to his name. That's what I'm. That's dick what I'm in saying. Dick in a box. Yeah, we got it. We got. 
<laughs> you really need to articulate that there. Uh, the the it, I want my mom. I want to go home. I mean, his comedic chops are well refined, thanks to his James Corden stuff. Like he, he's got that pitch in his arsenal, but he's got a little ways to go to catch up to Justin Timberlake Saturday Night Live. Yeah, but I think he just needs more reps because those sketches were all pretty funny. Yeah. The one where he's Doug the dog. Right. The pet. And Joan. Right. Joan, I love you. Love the way you feed me ham. It's all, it's all, he's, he's got it. It's for sure. I just, this was a moment where poor Sarah Lee literally had to shut down the comment section because they were just getting killed. <laughs> and good on the Saturday Night Live people for the way they wrote, and good on him for stepping in and, and, and taking it over. And Bowen. Bowen Yang's great in that sketch. That, it's really funny. It's just really, really funny. Oh, yes, I, I did write this. Wow, okay. Um. Railing me to death is a great Harry moment. <laughs> Nora! All right, let's move on. <laughs> Are any of these songs about Taylor Swift? God, make it stop. No. Thank, and thank goodness they're not. Because he seems to have a much, have had a much more compelling and meaningful relationship with Camille Rao. Yeah. And, and, and we got this. There is a moment, though, as a part of this cycle, in which he crossed paths with Taylor Swift. And that was at the 2021 Grammys. True. And what I want to ask you is there was a big freak out about it. Because they were like, okay, there's peace in the kingdom. But, like, it wasn't the warmest of interactions, was it? I thought it looked super awkward. I know we were in the time of COVID and there was not a lot of hugging, but, like, nobody was wearing masks at that. Like, I I mean, Taylor had the flower mask, but, like, people were hugging. I know that they were because I, but they didn't hug. They didn't. And Taylor's a hugger. You've, You've taught us this that Taylor is a hugger. Yeah, she hugged me one time. She didn't hug Harry Styles at the Grammys. What? So, it can be both, right? I think if I had to guess, I would say that if for those of us who would mostly find happiness in (laughs) Taylor and Harry doing what makes sense for them as people, but who would find some happiness in there being peace in the kingdom to potentially facilitate even just mutual support of two artists who I think are very fantastic and produce fantastic work. That seemed like a sort of first step, if anything. Yeah. The first icebreaker of, okay, okay, let's let bygones be bygones. We can interact in a way that's... but we can interact in a way that's respectful. Hi, good to see you. And it's a little awkward, right? Like anybody who's ever had to interact with an ex ex in public. Much less doing it on camera when you know there are literally millions of people who are going to freak out depending on which gesture you make, what you do, everything. But there is, there's that weird feeling of like, by the sort of letter of everything that happened, (laughs) you're not necessarily over everything. Because you're like, sure. oh, that was fucked up. Like, I know that was fucked up. Yeah. But time has passed. Everyone's okay. Taylor's known so you to just carry don't... a grudge. Well, sure. But like, do you ever, you ever 
You ever carry a grudge that you sort of know you deserve to carry, Hmm. but then enough time passes that you just don't really care that much anymore? Yes. You think that's what we were looking at? I sort of think that's it. It was a big night for her. I mean, this was a really big night. I mean, it wasn't a bad night for Harry. He won his first Grammy ever. All of these songs are fucking massive, so thank you so much. Uh, I feel very honored to be among all of you, so thank you so much. It was a good night for both of them. Probably a better night for Taylor, but a good yeah, night slightly. for both of them. Slightly. But hey, best pop solo performance? Like, we'll take it. Totally. And he had not been acknowledged either as a solo artist or as a member of One Direction by the Grammys in that way before. Um, so he that's was just an trying to make step. an album about having sex and feeling sad. And here he was. And here he was at the Grammys. Let it be a lesson to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, I, I guess just, To close the loop, I would say that it's an interesting precursor to their next meeting, if ever that happens, right? Because it can go one of two ways. And one of the ways is that was just them making nice when they were, when they knew that on some level they were being watched. And if they're in a situation like that again, it'll probably be kind of identical in the sense that warm enough, but still a little bit at arm's length. Or that's the icebreaker to the next step, which is like, hey, I know some of that stuff was bad and I'm sorry for my part in it. I'm sure you are too. There's some of that that I still think was screwed up, but I really like your songs. Like what's been going on? And then you see what happens. Okay. Joe Alwyn is a better looking Brit controversial take, Nathan. I have no idea. Is he an actor? What happened on March 25th? Not that much. We kind of went, we were like going into lockdown. February 25th was when he did Tiny Desk. Okay. Watermelon sugar, strawberries in a summer evening. But March 25th, we were getting super, super de-duper locked down. And that's what's interesting about this album. I mean, COVID really does play a part in it. He does the one night only show and he's not able to go out on the road and tour. And what that sort of had the, you know, the, the happy consequence of doing was massively extending this album cycle. And the, the, the first couple singles did okay, but they didn't do great. I mean, Adore You peaks at number six, but Lights Up gets to 17. Falling, which is the third single, only gets to 62. And at that point, you might be like, hey, do we have a problem? I just think they knew that they had watermelon sugar in the bag. It was already being played all over the place just from its sort of promotional release. But May 2020 is a long time after that, after this album came out for, for you to have your first number one single off of it. And, and because of COVID, hey, the, the Phoebe Waller-Bridge video didn't come out until like New Year's Day 2021, I think. So you had a very long extended cycle for this album to get its entire due. And, you know, he ultimately comes back and plays off the rest of those tour dates for Love on Tour in 2021. But it's very, very rare to have this long of a cycle. I mean, Taylor just, you know, her her album that came out around the time of COVID, she stepped on with three other albums, right? Right. So th- this one got, for only 10 songs, this one got a lot of time in the sun, which is what makes the next one so interesting. He felt pressure putting this one out 
imagine what he must feel putting this next one out. Well, do you think that has anything to do with the single release cycle? Because I guess we were kind of talking about this earlier, but I wonder if he has in some ways a little bit of a weird relationship with watermelon sugar. Like we talked about how he went through cycles of really not liking it and then also kind of really liking it. Um, Mm. And he'd also felt that pressure to make kind of big radio hit songs when maybe some of the stuff that he wanted to make was more like cherry and and wasn't that. And so I wonder if it gave him for a time, a little bit of a complicated relationship with watermelon sugar, because it's just so undeniably a great song. But I also wonder if it's a little bit of the thing that vexed him about feeling the pressure to create for this album. Hmm. And I, I wonder if there's a little bit of a, the fact that it wasn't centered right off the top has a little bit to do with the fact that he didn't people didn't want people to just listen to that song. Yeah. He wanted to make sure that enough people heard the whole thing, heard the Mm. whole album, heard more of these songs. Yeah. Well, in the wrong context, you might not have taken the song seriously, but it's to your point, such a bop that it's just is sort of hard to ignore. Did Harry win this album? Harry won the album. Harry told Wrong. Won the album. Camille won the album. Whoa. She I won don't know. the album. I don't know. Uh, that's not a real take. Harry won the album. Um, but uh, this is a real take. And the real take is for all of the great things that Watermelon Sugar did for this album and career, I have a problem lyrically with one part of it. <laughs> That I just okay. can't shake. And it's not the it's not the imagery. It's great. What's not great is I want your belly. I want your belly. And it's feeling. Because it just I cannot separate it from from the Austin Powers fat bastard get in my belly. <laughs> get in my belly. I that can't, seems like a you problem. I don't know that it's a me problem. Does anybody else have this problem? Like, I just hear him being like, get in my belly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't have that problem. Get in my belly. All right. Well, that's the lyrical part. I kind of like that line. Fine. Just because it's a little different. I don't know. Yeah, belly is just such a, I don't know. It's like moist. Well, yeah, word. and I think I think in that way, there's like a weird, there's like a weird carnal intimacy yeah, to so it. Yeah, so why didn't I, you it, use it the word moist? Anyway, all right. <laughs> That's on Harry's house. What's the best lyric? What do you love so, about this? I'll, I'll give you one that it's it doesn't make me think of Austin Powers, but is a line that confuses me a little bit, but in ways that I really love, is from Sunflower, and it's, my eyes want you more than a melody. Because in hmm. some ways, there are some moments where I think that's a great line. The cadence to it is really nice. I'm totally into it. And then sometimes I think that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. It's hard because if you put it in the context of like him searching to make songs that are going to go, you could see it like, okay, he really is he's processing through all these emotions and he wants 
he's desperate for that melody. But then it's also like, what the fuck? But why your eyes? You hear a melody. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Mushrooms. (laughs) Very fair. Very fair. That's why. Never forget. When you get confused, when you find yourself walking down what you think is a dead-end alley on this album, you just need a little voice that says, mushrooms. And then all makes sense. Then you can just turn around and go back to the main through fair. And then when you get lost again, you just, oh, right. Yes. Oh, mushrooms. Don't do drugs, kids. It'll make you like Harry Styles. Oh, wait. That probably wasn't a great argument. Uh, another one that I, I mentioned this before, but I'm well aware I write too many songs about you. Yeah. I'm into it. I I'm love that. Into it. I love that line. And I'm well aware I write too many songs about you. Do you have any other favorites? No, I told you I love Cherry. I really, that, I, I, don't you call him what you used to call me. There's something so simple and beautiful about that. I love it. Don't you call him what you used to call me. I think, th- I think on Fine Line, uh, spreading you open is the only way of knowing you is quite a line. See, that's a little much for me. It is? <laughs> it offends my delicate sensibility. <laughs> You're fine with everything else, but that one. I don't know. The heart wants what it wants. Oh, the, the pearl clutching. And the that's fake Harry's pearl is, clutching. No, that is the, that, that is doing. the one where I where I where I pearl clutch. I don't know why. Yeah, I understand it. I understand it. You just said that watermelon sugar, which is very clearly about naughty stuff, is your favorite. But this one, this line, you can't handle. Yeah, because watermelon, like. Uh, it's not exactly euphemistic. Watermelon sugar is at least a, a thinly, very thinly veiled euphemism. <laughs> Extraordinarily thinly. The veil has been pierced on that song. There's no, it's not veiled. It's fine. Well, I'm glad that I got to make you uncomfortable. And now it's time for you to deliver what everyone knows you're going to say about how you grade this album. Are you going to give your space yourself any space here for Harry's house to be better? <sighs> like, I just want to just put out there, like, because you, you're about to give it a grade. I know what you're going to do here. And you're about to give I it- just, I, I know what my heart wants to do. And, which is to give it an A. Yeah. Because this is one of my favorite albums in recent memory. It's one that I listen to a lot. It's one that I think is super, super compelling. I don't get sick of the songs. It's not that I can't find any weaknesses with it. I don't know that I feel like I... The things that I feel like I know about Harry because of this album are pretty universal. Yes. Like, yes, there's intimacy in expressing that you get jealous and petty and and all of that. And I think that's powerful on a lot of these songs. It's not exactly an original story. No. Which 
a lot of the greatest songs of all time deal in universal themes. So that's not necessarily a a bad thing, but it's just that we've talked about albums, uh, a lot of Taylor Swift albums specifically that are so specific. And I love that about them. Sometimes it's just hard for me to, to sort of orient myself around a different way of doing things. I also just think that the performances of this album that yes. he he's done are so fantastic that that adds to it. Nora, it's okay. It's this okay. Album is I can an just a. give it an A. It's an this A. This album an is an A. It is a joyous, wonderful palette full of color and sonic delight. It is not too sugary. It is not too sour. It is an expression of an artist at his absolute peak. And that's what makes me very, very anxious about the album that we're about to get in the next few weeks, because I'm not sure how easy it's going to be to deliver something after this. It wasn't the lockdown album in the way that, you know, uh, that, that, that folklore was okay. But it did carry with us through quarantine in a lot of ways so it has that very sentimental component that 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 was lighter folklore was heavy i mean it was heavy because it was a heavy time but there was some lightness that sort of persevered through the the entire covid situation thanks to this album and i just am worried that it's going to be hard to do better for him. Not because he's not, you know, a, a, a incredibly gifted and that he can't grow at all. It's just this thing really struck at a moment in time. It is an A and it is really difficult to replicate something like this. It's what makes the next few weeks so fascinating in terms yeah. of this artist because he's right on the cusp. I mean, if he delivers something that is in the same ballpark, this is the proverbial biggest star in the world. I mean, he is then in the Beyonce Taylor category, period, I think. I think you're right. No, I think you're right. There's uh, also and... a chance that it falls a little short. And let's see what happens. Yeah, and it's it's funny. It's it falling a little short in actuality is no great crime, right? Like there are no. a lot of albums that are not as good as Fine Line. But because this is what came before it, it does set the stakes up in a way that um, is pretty exciting. But I imagine it is is a little stressful. I I feel like I'm watching the last two minutes of a really tight sports game, like a basketball Mm -hmm. game or something. It's very exciting. A lot of of suspense. Like I get that feeling in my stomach. I am curious if some of that lightness, though, will end up carrying through to Harry's house. Lights up, treat people with kindness and adore you were the last songs that were written for Fine Lines. So he definitely ended in terms of the creative process. Yeah. He ended the cycle on a very like up note. But after I think doing a lot of the I'm very sad about my French ex-girlfriend stuff a little bit earlier in the cycle. Yeah. So. But let let uh, me give you the reason for optimism. Please. The reason for optimism is the line in As It Was, what kind of pills are you on? Harry, you no good alone. Why are you sitting on the floor? What kind of pills are you on? There is, there is 
Not just because clearly there were drugs involved in the making of this album, but in all seriousness, that's a very vulnerable, little bit darker, substantive song that feels like it actually was heavily influenced by quarantine and by loneliness. So there is some real substance to that first single that gives me hope that we're going to see something that is different, but of equal quality. Well, I'm very excited to hear it. This has been every single album, Harry Styles. I'm Nora Princiati. He's Nathan Hubbard. We will be back on Monday to talk about Niall Horan's second album, Heartbreak Weather. Thank you, as always, to Kai McMullen for producing this episode. We'll talk to y'all soon. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.